This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Last week, we talked about an upcoming NVIDIA chip that's supposed to accelerate the development of artificial intelligence. Now it's Intel's turn to talk about its powerhouse processor. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me to talk about all things AI and chips is our cutting-edge reporter, Stephen Shanklin. Welcome, Shank. Thanks for having me on the show. So last week, you talked about NVIDIA's beefy AI chip. What does Intel have up its sleeve? Okay, well, yeah, last week, uh, I wrote about the NVIDIA H100. NVIDIA is the top of the heap when it comes to AI chips. They've got the fastest models out there, almost, maybe Google is neck and neck, perhaps. Uh, But Intel has really lagged. This has been an area where Intel fell behind NVIDIA and other AI chip companies. And a few years ago, they bought a startup called Habana Labs in Israel. And this is the second generation product from Habana Labs. It's called the Gaudi 2. So I don't think this is going to be faster than the NVIDIA H100, but what it looks likely to be is more of a value play. So perhaps cheaper than the NVIDIA H100, which is important as a market develops. It can't all be high-end, top-of-the-line, top-shelf, super expensive stuff. So yeah, and and I guess that's what makes Gaudi, and I, I do appreciate the artistic inspiration behind the name. Uh, is that is that so the key thing that makes Gaudi 2 so compelling that it is uh, essentially a value play, a cheaper version of a high-end AI chip? Yeah. Now, to be clear, there are a lot of other companies, startups and big companies, all angling for a big place in this AI market. The AI market is growing really fast. Uh, It's supposed to be about $433 billion worth of spending this year. That's hardware and software and services. Uh, So there's there's room for a lot of players, but there's no guarantee that Intel is going to conquer the world. That said, the uh, Havana Labs people uh, do have some customers with their Gaudi chips, and they're available through Amazon Web Services, which is a pretty big deal when it comes to accessing these kinds of products online, which is how a lot of companies do it. So they have a credible effort here. They don't have any guarantee of success. Got it. And just like if you stack the two together, Gaudi 2 versus the H100, I, you mentioned the H100 is the faster chip, but is there any other differences between the two that are notable? Yeah, so the H100 is built on a somewhat more advanced manufacturing process that gives it the edge in some ways. You can fit more circuitry there, more transistors. So that's going to give it some help. Uh, And then uh, I think on the other side, on the Gaudi 2 side, it's got more memory. Now, it turns out, especially these days when you're running complicated AI systems, you need a lot of memory attached to the chip. And Gaudi 2 actually outdoes the H100 here by a you know by a significant margin, 96 gigabytes compared to 80 gigabytes, which uh, will help uh, some customers squeeze a bit more AI action onto the chip. So there are some advantages that the Gaudi folks have. Really, the one of the hardest points where Intel is going against NVIDIA is with software, 
because the NVIDIA ecosystem is so mature and NVIDIA has so many software developers on board, it's got really mature software, which makes it easier for AI developers to grab a chip and go with it, get something working, adapt it. And the Habana folks are, I think, trailing there, but they're working pretty hard. So we'll see how that shakes out. But certainly they're in the credible player when it comes to software. They're just not the leading player. Got it. And, and like taking NVIDIA's announcement from last week, Intel's announcement from this week, I mean, does that, is this just sort of a trend? I mean, what, what do all these announcements actually mean for the broader state of AI? It's really an interesting transition in the computer industry right now. So a couple of decades ago, CPUs were where all the action was at. Intel was was king of the heap. And, and, you know, these are general purpose processors. They do everything. But as Moore's law has slowed down, chip designers have focused on sort of what used to be kind of accessory chips, like chips to accelerate graphics. That's where NVIDIA got its big start. And then a new workload came along, which is this AI stuff. And as more graphics got more important and graphics chips were able to do more things like photo and video editing, not just playing video games, that stuff that used to be kind of a sidelight became a lot more important. And then AI, the exact same thing happened. And Intel was left behind. So Intel was, you know, it's still pretty powerful when it comes to making CPUs, the main processors, but these former little sort of sidelight chips now turn out to be really important. So what's going on here is that the AI market is really maturing. A lot of people I talk to think that AI is kind of taking over a lot of the computing world. So everything you do touches AI these days in some degree. Mostly it comes from these big companies like uh, like Amazon or Google or Apple or Microsoft, Facebook. And uh, But it's, it's spreading beyond that. And these processors really help a lot of smaller players get into AI. So you don't necessarily have to have, you know, dozens of PhDs and computer scientists like Google does working on AI to get some use out of it. So this Habana Labs chip, this is sort of emblematic of the broader adoption of AI. It becomes, I hesitate to say more democratic, but it becomes somewhat easier, cheaper, easier to use. Okay. And taking it the next step and then looking at like how this actually affects us as the end users, like what what is all what is all this AI development this AI these development capabilities what does that all actually translate for us? Yeah, sure. Well, like I say, a lot of the early AI stuff came out of these big these tech giants that have a lot of you know really deep expertise on staff. They know how to build this software to train the AI models to get it working. So it's been in use for years for things like Google search or screening out spam at Gmail or identifying faces and Facebook photos. Um, there've been a lot of these uses at the big tech giants for a long time, but uh, as it spreads and becomes more cheaper, as the software gets more mature, as you know, the sort of the, the packaging that all this AI com comes in gets more easy to access, then it spreads a lot farther beyond these tech giants. So that means, you know, maybe it's your bank is going to be able to easily tap into some service that screens for fraudulent transactions. Or maybe if you're a small manufacturer, you're going to be able to use AI to find defects on products that you're that are coming off the assembly line. So basically it means this technology comes out of the tech giants and spreads more broadly. Now you're probably not going to have AI in your house exactly, but every device you use and every service you touch is using AI. You know, the Amazon warehouses are 
organized by AI. The Amazon product recommendations are optimized through AI. The autocorrect on your phone keyboard is powered by AI. The face unlock on your phone is powered by AI. So it's really spreading everywhere. And that's, I mean, that's, I guess, both exciting and scary to see, especially if you are a fan of uh, Terminator movies. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, in terms of like what this is all leading up to, like, you know, that that's always the, uh, the obvious fear, but like, is that, uh, you know, we didn't talk about this last week, but just like that uh, AI being used potentially for nefarious reasons. Like, is that is that something we need to be worried about now, given the, the ramping up of the capabilities behind AI? It depends on what you mean by nefarious. So, yes, we definitely have to worry about problems with AI. So, for example, uh, Facebook just released a, uh, a language model, a big language model, so that researchers can do a whole lot of language processing, things like you know asking a computer a question or translating speech to text or a whole bunch of things that involve language processing. This is it's a really big model, but it was trained on a bunch of data that came off the internet. Well, guess what? If you scrub, uh, if you scrape a whole lot of random text off the internet, you're gonna get a whole lot of vitriol, flame wars, conspiracy theories, and that other dreck. So it turns out this language model, it's got some, you know, big caveats for using it in the real world because of the data that it's trained on. This is one of the biggest issues with AI is making sure the data you're training your AI on is good. So there was sort of an initial spurt with AI really exciting because it could exciting because it could tackle a lot of problems that were out of the scope of traditional computer programming, you know, the if then else kind of instructions. AI can handle a whole lot of messy real world data. Well, the problem now is that we have to deal with making sure the correct messy real world data goes into our AI training systems. So that's the first thing. That is a real problem. There are a lot of researchers working on that. Uh, it's it's a you know very conscious effort at this point. So it's a hard problem, but it's not an unknown problem. The bigger question, your sort of Terminator question, uh, <laughs> that's actually, I don't think it's nearly as big a problem, at least right now. So that's something called artificial general intelligence. What we have right now with artificial intelligence is AI systems that are good for very specific narrow things like recognizing your face or predicting your typing on your keyboard and that's really useful, but it's it's very narrow. You're not going to have an AI that's good at operating a self-driving car that's also good at fraud detection. You know, those are going to be completely different systems. A human brain is really incredibly versatile compared to computer AIs. And when you start looking at, uh, you know, attack of the killer robots, then that's still very, very far away. Now, there are some issues. You know, you could have, for example, drones uh, that use AI to recognize a particular model of tank and say, yes, that's this kind of tank and that's the enemy's tank. So I'm going to blow it up right now. Right now we don't have that, but you know, there are applications that, you know, even using today's technology could be, you know, potentially really worrisome. And yes, even actually have killer robots, but like something that actually wanders around and makes, you know, like in the Terminator movies, no, we're nowhere near that. Okay. Well, that's, that's a relief, Shank. Thank you. Um, going back and thanks for indulging me in that you know that little turn into sci-fi uh want to get back to intel because obviously you know when we we've talked about intel and right now it's relevant because it's they're trying to build foundries here in the u.s actually manufacture stuff here i'm curious how gaudi 2 or if the gaudi 2 fits into this 
sort of broader plan to kind of move things here and to reestablish the company as a chip-making powerhouse? This is a really interesting question. So there are three big chip makers right now who are at or near the cutting edge of manufacturing. TSMC in Taiwan, Samsung in South Korea, and Intel, which is in third place in terms of technology development. But it's still a pretty big company when it comes to manufacturing volume. And it's trying hard to catch up and even to surpass TSMC and Samsung. We'll see if it's actually eventually able to do that, but it's making significant progress. Now, one of the key efforts going on right now under the new CEO, Pat Gelsinger, uh, in addition to trying to speed up their manufacturing, they're actually using outside chip makers for competitive products. And in fact, Gaudi 2 and Gaudi are made by TSMC, as are some other components uh, that Intel sells right now. So Intel mostly makes its own chips, but it's using outside foundries as well. Now, what it hopes to do as it improves its manufacturing is to obviously pull more of its own manufacturing onto its into its back to its own fabrication facilities. Those are fabs for short. Uh, but it also hopes to start building chips for everybody else under the sun, car makers, maybe even rivals like AMD and NVIDIA. So if it succeeds in making its uh, technology more competitive and it convinces these rivals to actually give it money to make chips, then it could actually significantly expand its chip making. Now, that's going to be a difficult plan, but that's where it's headed right now. So, yes, you're right. It did just uh, announce about $20 billion of investment at two new fabs in Ohio, and that could eventually grow up to be eight fabs, about $100 billion, an enormous investment on Intel's part. Now, that's not going to bear any fruit immediately. Those fabs won't come online until about 2025. But when they do, that'll be a lot of capacity. It's also investing in existing fabs it has in New Mexico, Arizona, and Oregon. So it's, you know, it's got some newer term capacity coming online as well. Now, the interesting thing about that is, of course, uh, whether chip manufacturing in the U.S. will really rebound like Intel wants. Most of that chip manufacturing has been moving to Korea and Taiwan. Intel wants to reverse that. And that could have a lot of important effects for supply chain uh, resilience. So, for example, all the problems we've been having since the pandemic started, you can't buy Ford F-150s or Sony PlayStations because the chips are so scarce. Uh, Intel is hoping that it will help address that, uh, the, all the supply chain problems that we've been experiencing over the last couple of years by increasing the U.S. chip manufacturing. Right, right. Unfortunately, it's not a solution that'll come anytime soon. Shank, thank, thank you for your time. You can check out a story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, ping me on Twitter at Roger W. Chang. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.